Leviticus chapter 17, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 2. Speak unto Aaron, and unto his sons, and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, saying, 3. What man soever there be of the house of Israel that killeth an ox, or lamb, or goat, in the camp, or that killeth it without the camp, 4. And hath not brought it unto the door of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood shall be imputed unto that man, he hath shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Now, it sounds like God is saying every single time you kill an animal to eat it, you have to bring it to the tent of meeting and sacrifice it there. And then you would get, I guess, your portion and the priest would get his portion. But this isn't what it's really saying. The only time that you bring it to the priest to sacrifice is if it's to atone for your sin or you're bringing a fellowship offering or a thanksgiving offering or a burnt offering or you're making atonement or you need to make a sacrifice to be cleansed from your uncleanness. But what this is saying is that if you're going to sacrifice it at all, you must sacrifice it to the Lord God alone and no demon gods. Because before God made this law, a lot of the people would kill animals at home or in the wild, and then they would offer it to a demon god. He doesn't want them to do that anymore. So he's saying, if you're going to offer it, you must bring it to the tabernacle and offer it to me. 5. To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they sacrifice in the open field, even that they may bring them unto the Lord, unto the door of the tent of meeting, unto the priest, and sacrifice them for sacrifices of peace offerings unto the Lord. All sacrifices go to God alone. That's what it's saying. 6. And the priest shall dash the blood against the altar of the Lord at the door of the tent of meeting, and make the fat smoke for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the blood is drained, and it's sprinkled on the altar, and God gets all of the fat, and that's burned completely until it becomes smoke which is what fat does when it burns. 7. And they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices unto the satyrs, after whom they go astray. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. Satyrs are in Greek mythology, but they go back further than Greek mythology. They're very ancient demon gods that have, it looks like a man with like a horse or a goat body, where the head and neck should be is the torso and the face and the arms of a man like a man's body sticking out of shoulders of a goat or a horse. And it has a tail. And it basically looks like Satan because if you've ever seen pictures of Satan on his throne, he looks like a satyr, a very even more demonic because he has ram horns. I personally believe that when God created Lucifer, he created him looking like this because there are animals in front of the throne that have human parts and what we would call animal parts described in the book of Revelation. One has the head of an eagle, and one has the head of a cow, one has the head of a man, and I think the other one is a head of a lion. They're all worshiping, and they're angels, but they look kind of like animals. There's a lot of different kind of angels. For instance, cherubs have wings, and people don't have wings. In the angel world, there is a lot of different shapes and sizes and types, and I believe that Lucifer originally did have hoofs, a donkey or whatever, but he had the torso of a man, but he looked totally different because he would have been covering himself with wings or he would have been wearing clothes, but in his fallen state, he looks a hideous, disgusting, perverted 
just absolutely hideous mess, and he looks so ugly and evil because now he's in his fallen state. But the satyrs are like, they have a similar look to Satan, so it's some other type of demon. In ancient times, satyrs symbolized perverted sex, and that's what they were all about. When you sacrifice to that demon, you're opening yourself up to sexual perversion. Of course, pagan people still sacrifice to them. So that's what God is talking about, because they had this tradition of sacrificing the animals that they hunted to these lustful demons. 8. And thou shalt say unto them, Whatsoever a man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among them, that offereth a burnt offering or sacrifice. 9. And bringeth it not unto the door of the tent of meeting, to sacrifice it unto the Lord, even that man shall be cut off from his people. God has already said in this chapter, that if you sacrifice an animal to any god but him, it's the same thing as murder. It's as if you had murdered a person if you sacrifice an animal to a demon god. That's how seriously God takes it. And now he's saying that if a sojourner, which is a foreigner, sacrifices to a demon god, then you have to cut him off from the people, kick him out of the camp. He can no longer be a part of Israel. 10. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among them, that eateth any manner of blood, I will set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. God put the life in blood. The life of an animal and the life of a person is in their blood. And God has always, from day one, forbid that anybody eat blood. One of the highest perverted things that you can do is to drink somebody else's blood, even if it's an animal's blood. That's why Satanists do it all the time, because they hate God and they want to mock his law. And when they drink blood, they get brownie points from Satan and he gives them powers and rewards on earth. But the problem is they're going to end up in hell. And this is the other problem. A lot of these high level witches around the world and high level warlocks, they've been promised by Satan that they're going to have a throne when they go to hell and that hell is going to be a big party and it's going to be fun. There's only one problem with that. Satan did not make hell. God made hell. And Satan has no authority over hell. Only God has authority over hell. And Satan doesn't decide who goes to hell. Only God decides who goes to hell. Satan cannot give anyone a throne in hell even if he wanted to. Satan hates everybody, including all the witches and warlocks who serve him. He hates them as much as he hates the Christians. And he's delighted that they serve him because they're going to hell. You know, misery loves company. Satan is the most tormented person who ever lived. He wants as much company as possible. He wants as many other people to go down with him as possible. Satan lies and tells people they're going to get rewards in hell, but he has no power over what goes on in hell. It's all controlled by God. Hell is a jail cell, and Satan is the number one inmate. So they're not going to get a throne when they go to hell. And even if they did, it would be up to God, and it would be a throne made of fire and torment. Nobody would ever want to sit on that throne. He's a liar. He promises all these things to his followers, and they're not going to get any of it. 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement by reason of the life. 12. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. 13. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among them, that taketh in hunting any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall pour out the blood thereof, and cover it with dust. 
God doesn't even want the blood exposed. He wants it respectfully and reverently covered. God made blood and he put our life in it. Even when they hunt, they have to drain the blood from the animal, as well as when they make sacrifices and when they eat at home. The blood always has to be drained out before they eat the animal. In the Western world, we don't have that kind of meat available to us. They never drain the blood out of the animal when they kill it, and then they butcher it and put the meat in the grocery store. All of that meat has blood in it. When I eat meat, I eat it well done, because then you'll cook out as much blood as possible. I don't think anybody's going to hell because they can't buy meat that had the blood drained out. We're living under the new covenant, which is Jesus Christ. In the new covenant, he said that we can eat anything that's set before us if we are spreading the gospel. But I still think out of reverence for life, the life that God created, and reverence for God, we should avoid blood as much as possible. That's my opinion. 15. And every soul that eateth that which dieth of itself, if an animal dies naturally, or that which is torn of beast, so if an animal is killed by another animal, whether he be home-born or a stranger, he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the even, then shall he be clean. And now you know in that case, the blood didn't get drained out when it died, at least not all of it. You would be getting a little bit of blood that way. But God says you're allowed to eat it, but you're unclean until evening. You have to wash your clothes. Because in that case, you couldn't really help getting a little bit of blood because it wasn't properly slaughtered. 16. But if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. God is saying it's actually a sin if you don't wash yourself. Because if you don't wash yourself after touching a carcass, you're going to bring disease home to your family. And that's a sin. It's a sin to harm your family. That's why God commanded them to wash. And if they didn't wash, they're guilty because they're bringing evil into the home, which is sickness and disease. God doesn't like it when we're careless, and we learned this in the law earlier in the book of Exodus, that God never excuses carelessness. We have to always be very conscientious to make sure that we don't do things that can hurt other people or ourselves. And that concludes Leviticus chapter 17.